Welcome to the Highland Herald, a Final Fantasy podcast where we, two Final Fantasy obsessed brothers, discuss everything from Azura to Zell and all things in between. We are your hosts, Wolfkins and Soloist, the Brothers of Light. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode five of Highwind Herald. As always, I am one of your hosts, Wolfkins, and I have my brother Soloist here with me. How are you doing, buddy? Good on this beautiful Wednesday morning, earlier than usual. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, we had to shift things around a little bit, but I think it's going to be okay. That actually will give me a little bit more time to edit this, so maybe it'll be less stressful this week. Uh, yeah, that I think that would be <laughs> probably an ace in the hole about this whole thing. Speaking of stress, though, I have a trivia question for you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and okay. This, this will dovetail into our next little segment as well, because I was a little lazy with the trivia question this week, but hopefully it'll still be still be a little challenging for you. Are you ready? Yep, I think I am. Okay. After the Fire Crystal incident in Karnak in Final Fantasy V, you're granted three additional jobs. What are these three jobs? Samurai, is that right? Give me your guesses, and then I'll tell you if that's right. <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> I'm supposed to remember that. Um, it's a trivia question. Um, <laughs> You're supposed to. This is testing your knowledge of random stuff from Final Fantasy. I guess samurai. Uh, summoners earlier. I'm pretty sure, because that's the last batch of um classes, isn't it? I don't know. This is where I am in the game, which is why this trivia question was so easy for me to put together this week. <laughs> so. Well, they're going to have to be the penultimate one. So I'm going to say like ninja, samurai, and screw it. I can't think of anything but summoner. So summoner. Okay, you've got one of those. The correct answers were ninja, geomancer, and trainer. I would have never gotten that. Trainer? Trainer. Yes. What I have is not it? yet utilized the trainer. I think they use a whip. Uh, I is, think so, is, so, is that a, a mistranslation of Beastmaster? It could be. It could be. I'm not sure. Um, it's called trainer in the version of the game that I'm playing. And in the wiki that I, I have, just to verify that I, I remembered them correctly. But it, essentially what it read like is it, it does seem like it was the Beastmaster. Yeah, Final Fantasy V has an issue of being riddled with, like, mistranslations. <laughs> so, I think that is supposed to be a Beastmaster. Um, I didn't remember those being the last three. They might not be the last three, but, you know. Well, wow, I, I, I can play know. that game again. This is just where I got to. So, actually, I think that'll bring us to our next uh, little segment here is, what have we been up to in Final Fantasy this week? And since I've already kind of spilled the beans, I'll go first. I have actually managed to play a little bit more Final Fantasy V, and I got to say, I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. Um, Although I do have something to complain about. So I I got through the second portion of the game with the, is that the water crystal? The Um, the water second, correct? I believe so, yeah. So I go to the king and he's like, hey, you should go to Karnak. And I say, okay, where's Karnak? Nobody can tell me where Karnak is. Eventually I found some random NPC that tells me, oh, that's all the way on the Western continent. So I I have this dragon that can fly, but apparently he can't fly high enough to go over mountains. So that's silly. But anyway, I get on my dragon and I'm flying around for 20 minutes and I cannot find this city. So then I look up a YouTube video of the guy at this portion of the game to show me how to find Karnak. And it's him flying around for 20 minutes before he finally figures it out too. I, I had to go to the meteor and then that transported me over there nobody was telling me to do anything like this so uh, it's one of those frustrations that i have for those early final fantasies where it's like well have fun see you later i will say though once i got over there and got back on track i've been having a pretty good time uh just playing the game oh yeah it's one of the it's one of the more fun ones to play but it still is plagued by that old final fantasy habit and old rpg habit of just you know, kind of 
I don't think it's supposed to be a linear experience. I think part of the longevity of that game for the first time is stumbling around and looking for where to go, honestly. I don't know if that was the design purpose, but it seems like that's how it all ends up. Not really my cup of tea, but you know what? I'm enjoying it when I get back on track. Other than that, though, I've been spending a lot of time in 14. Again, spending most of my time in the gold saucer. I did try chocobo racing for the first time ever. I'm two for two. I've won both of the races so far that I've done. My chocobo's name is Lady Autumn, and she is uh, apparently very fast. But I've been enjoying that. I'm just saving up trying to get some of those gold saucer mounts while I'm you know, just waiting for more patch content. But anyway, what have you been up to? Um, I've continued to play Final Fantasy XIV a little bit, a little bit less this week than I did last week because I've honestly kind of shifted over to the uh, Shadowlands pre-patch instead. Uh, I'm a bad boy, I know. But I'm having a lot more fun with that right now, weirdly as it is. But um, I still played a little bit of 14 this week. I have, I've got my friends to switch over to our server, and both of them have already gotten up to where they get their jobs. Um, one is, one is going to be a white mage, and the other one's going to be a gunbreaker. So, well, that's perfect. So I can, you know, if you want to do some dungeons, I would level probably either. Well, you're doing dragoon, right? Uh huh. So I could level my black mage. I was going to volunteer to do gunbreaker if we had a full party because tanking makes me a little nervous, but not with you know a full party. But hey, you've got a second DPS if you ever look for a party this weekend or something. Absolutely. Um, so I've been playing with them a little bit, and um, I also started another Final Fantasy game for a, um, a project going on on my YouTube channel that I'm not going to disclose, but it will be announced Monday on the 9th of um, November. So if you're really curious in it, go check out my YouTube channel, Soloist, because I'm trying to keep it, you know, under wraps until it announces. But um, Ooh, uh, mysterious. Uh, the next Let's Play is a Final Fantasy game, but I'm not going to disclose which one. And I'm already underway. I've already gotten the first two episodes completely made and ready to upload. So, yeah. Awesome. awesome. So, you know, you'll announce that next week uh, on your channel, right? And then uh, I guess you can you can tell us next week on the show as well what you what you yeah. got going on. And then I'll, because um, I've also, this is a Final Fantasy game I haven't played in a few years. And it's always interesting to go back to those and just realize just how nostalgic you feel about certain, you know, the menu sounds and the way the menu looks in a specific game and the oh, art yeah. style. And it always just makes you appreciate the games more and more. And that's why I think Final Fantasy has always aged really well. It's one of those few series that make you feel that way. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Every time I go back and play one of the old ones that I played when I was younger, I always get hit. The music is the first thing that always gets me. Just as the music loads up, even on the menu screen, it's like, oh. Just mwah, chef's kiss. All right. Well, that sounds awesome. So uh, let's let's kind of move on to what we're going to be talking about today. I do have two pieces of just some some news I want to share before we dive into our actual discussion topic for the day. Uh, the first one is if you're interested in those, uh, you know, those statuettes, the Final Fantasy VII remake statuettes are now in stock. And these things are gorgeous. I put the link to them in the show notes. If you've got the money to spare, I the Sephiroth one is really, really cool. If you, now, when you say if you have the money to spare, how much are we talking? 300, um, 200. They're, they're not cheap. Uh, <laughs> they're definitely not cheap. I don't think any of these statuettes are ever what I would call affordable. Uh, but let's see. Let's see. The Oh, actually, these are a little bit better than I was even expecting. The Sephiroth one's only $50. Oh. So, wow. Wow, so you could, and the Aerith one is 40, and the Cloud one is 45. So, wow, yeah, I actually thought these were more than that. So, this is more affordable than I thought. I'm not sure how tall they are. Uh, looks like almost 10 inches for the, for the Squall, or sorry, the Squall, <laughs> for the Cloud one. So, these are actually pretty good-sized statuettes for actually better pricing than I was expecting. Because, like you said, normally these things are two, $300. Yeah, they're crazy. And on the on the topic of statues, I tried to call and tell you. Uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before. And I kind of just didn't send a text. I don't know why, but your 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 um, squall statue finally came in. Oh, awesome! It awesome. is not as big as I thought it was. Well, that's okay. For those of you that don't know who are listening, uh, Squall, of course, my favorite character from Final Fantasy VIII. A soloist had ordered me a squall statue for my birthday, which was a couple months ago, and it got kind of 
lost in uh you know just male hell or whatever uh, <laughs> he got lost once they had to send another one so i was starting to think that he actually just didn't buy me anything for my birthday so I was going to remember that come Christmas, but now it looks like I actually have to get you something. I was very pleasantly surprised when it finally came in. And when I opened it, I was like, well, this thing is way smaller than the pictures let on. Well, that actually kind of happened because for Soloist's birthday, I got him a Zidane statue. And it came in way smaller than I was expecting also. Is it about the same size? Um, No, it might be a little bigger. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll have to see uh, if you could bring it. I'm sure I'll see you around Thanksgiving. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll have it then. It comes, you know, it comes with a little stand to sit him up on, so it won't be hard for him to stand up and everything. Perfect. I'll clear a spot off on my desk for it. Absolutely. All right. The only other piece of news I had was on the Final Fantasy XI front, which still surprises me that I I have news to share on this. So the Final Fantasy XI November version update will be out next week, November 10th. So, you know, this version update has what you'd expect from the version updates, the new Ambuscade foes, and some additional UI improvements for the new assist channel that they've introduced, which is basically for new and returning players to try to help them get, you know, back into the game or figure out what to do. Because, to be honest, Final Fantasy XI is not the, <laughs> not the best with their tutorials and introductions. But what's the most interesting about this November version update is that we're again getting more story. So uh, I don't know if you were really kind of following it, but Final Fantasy XI basically had their last story patch years ago. And they said, you know, it's I think it was called uh, Rhapsodies of Vanadeel. And it was to basically sum up all of the story and kind of put a bow on this game. Well, a couple months back, they decided, you know what? We're giving you more stories. So this is the first part of Chapter 2 in The Voracious Resurgence. Uh, this is going to be set in Windurst, which I don't know how much you've played Final Fantasy XI, but that's the uh, the city with the, the Mithra and the Taru Taru. So it's going to be kind of set around there, and this makes me want to dive back into Final Fantasy XI, even though I didn't quite make it through Rhapsodies of Vanadil yet. I got probably 75%, so I need to finish that off, I think, before I started this, but uh, every time I think I'm out, they they try to pull me back in. So that is crazy that that game still is getting support, even with 14. I know, I know, and I always expected it to keep getting at least patch support, some balancing things here and there, but the fact they decided to keep making story content for this, plus there's still the, the rumors that it was supposed to have that mobile port that's still, from what I understand, in the works. So That's been in the works for a long time, though. Yeah, so, I mean, my hopes for that kind of really dwindled. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? So, you know, if you're a Final Fantasy XI fan, if you're if you're currently playing, that's good news for you. If you're not, honestly, I died, I dove back into it earlier this year, and... It was a lot of fun. It was nice. It, it felt like coming home. And as much as I love Final Fantasy fourteen, and even from our discussion a couple of weeks ago, put that one a little higher on my list, playing Final Fantasy eleven just feels like coming home. It's just like when you go back to your, you know, your hometown after a while and you just go to your favorite restaurant and it's just like, ah, things are a little different. But Oh yes, yeah, going back to my hometown and going to my favorite restaurant, Wendy's. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For normal people, not, <laughs> not you. But with that, that brings us to our main discussion point of this week. So we've been kind of looking backwards at the series. Uh, we, we've talked about our favorites. We've talked about the spirits within. But today we're, we're current again. We're, we're back up in 2020 looking towards the future. We're going to be talking about the new Final Fantasy 16 website that launched. We got a lot of new information on this website. Well, we got new information. There's still there's still a lot of things that are just kind of teased out there. But right off the bat, I want to say I am now stoked for this game. Like pouring over this website has has made me do a little bit of a 180. So I, I looked through the website and then rewatched the trailer with some of the new context. And I'm jazzed now. Like if you were if you listen to our I think it was episode one, where we kind of broke down the trailer. I was a little iffy on it and I'm still have my reservations about how the gameplay might be, but 
But as far as, as story, I'm getting pretty excited. But yeah, so one of the things I did notice that I wanted to point out before we kind of get into this is once you pull up the website and the website I put in the show notes for anybody who hasn't had a chance to check it out. Once you pull it up, the first thing that you see as you start to scroll down through this website is a link to the trailer that we discussed in episode one. When you try to play it, it asks you for an age verification. So that makes me wonder, Soloist, do you think this is going to be an M-rated game? I 100% do. I 100% do. Yeah, I'm starting to think so too. And that would make it the first M-rated mainline game, correct? Because I know we had Type 0, but this would be the first numbered Final Fantasy rated M. It absolutely would be. What do you think about that? Well, the older I get, I feel like the more an uh, M-rated um, Final Fantasy will actually, like, you know, speak to me because, you know, I don't know, it's, it, things getting a little more violent and things getting a little more high stakes because, you know, people are going to die. I don't know. It just seems like it, it could be very interesting the route they're going because it seems like if they push M, they're going to push M for the game being a little too violent from what I got from the trailer. It, the trailer itself was kind of violent with the blood splatter on on that kid's face. Yep, I think I, I'm all for it. I guess my question and maybe concern is, do you think an M rating would hurt like new player onboarding? Because you do kind of limit, you know, especially if you have conscientious parents who, who may not let their kids play games until they're, you know, the correct age. Do you think that'll hurt with sales of the game? I, I, I don't necessarily know if it will. I don't I, think it's hurt Elder Scrolls until this point. That's and fair. it definitely hasn't hurt GTA when it should have. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think it's going to hurt it. Played GTA probably before they should have, but especially when GTA four got pulled off shelves and given an AO rating. So uh, I don't think, Oh yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a really big issue. I think this game will be just fine rated M as it would have been rated T. All right. I, I think you're probably right. I it's, I do find it interesting that they're going this route. It'll be interesting to see how they go from here. If they kind of, you know, if 17 and 18, if they, they kind of keep sticking to that more M-rated uh, side of the spectrum, or if they shift it back to teen. Yeah, I don't know if they'll stick with this for 17 and 18, even though we probably won't see that until I'm close to on my dead bed. But, oh, yeah. Uh, that's years and years <laughs> away, for sure. Um, you know, I don't know if it's pushing rated M is a product of its time because, you know, we're kind of in a day and age where when you really think about it, rated T games hardly exist anymore. Like, at all. I mean, you have a few, but most of the time it's either M or E. Like, have you noticed that? I haven't really paid attention, but now that you say it, most of the games I've played recently have been probably M or E. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like uh... Nintendo will hold down the E for it. And then, like, most of the PS4 and Xbox One games you're going to play are going to be rated M. God of War. I think Spider-Man was rated T. I think it was. So, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Like, if there's anything behind the scenes that we really don't know about, about maybe rated T games don't sell as well or something. Well, I think it just goes to a lot of the storytelling here in recent times has just been bent more mature. And I think a lot of that also has to do with like the rise of streaming services and getting away from cable television and being able to tell, you know, having these platforms to tell these more mature stories. So your audiences, I think are expecting more mature stories and that Mm -hmm. might have something to do with it. I mean, this is pure speculation. I'm not an industry insider. I have no idea, but I just noticed, especially even with my TV shows, it seems like things have been leaning more towards, uh, just more mature, slightly more violent stuff. So maybe it's just bleeding into kind of all of entertainment. It's just what people are expecting. Plus, you know, Americans love their violence anyway. We put violence in everything. So that's true. I have no problem with the rated end game. Um, it's looking like it's going to happen definitely from that um, trailer message. But yeah, I everything, so everything here still looks absolutely full of heart. I agree. So if you keep going down on the website, it's got two additional sections. It's got the world, and then it's got the characters. So what I thought we would do is just kind of go through them one at a time, talk about what we see in the world, 
and then what we see in the characters. And the character section isn't that big. It only covers three characters. Uh, but I think it'll still make for a little bit of an interesting discussion. So if you don't have a problem with it, the 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 little pieces of information they put in the the sections are pretty short. They're just like a paragraph each. So if you don't have a problem, what I what I thought we might do is I would just, you know, read this to you, the paragraph it says, and then we can kind of talk about it. That should be good. Yeah. Let's do okay. that. So first thing we're going to talk about is the world. And the name of this world is Velisthia. At least that's how I'm pronouncing it. So this is the first thing that we see when we go when we kind of dive into the world section. Velisthia, a land blessed in the light of the mother crystals. The land of Velisthia is studded with mother crystals, glittering mountains of crystal that tower over the realms around them, blessing them with ether. For generations, people have flocked to these beacons to take advantage of their blessing, using the ether to conjure magics and let them live lives of comfort and plenty. Great powers have grown up around each mother crystal, and an uneasy peace has long reigned between them. Yet now the peace falters as the spread of the blight threatens to destroy their dominions. So the first thing that jumps into my mind is this has a strong connection to me to Final Fantasy XIV. Um, and I think they talk about mother crystals in Final Fantasy XI as well. But, you know, life sprouting up around the mother crystals, stuff like that, gives me very strong uh, Crystal Tower vibes from certain portions of A Realm Reborn and Shadowbringer. So what do you think about what I just read? Well, the whole time I was thinking, uh, this is like deep lore, that if it was in a Final Fantasy game, I'd probably have to look up to find out. So very appreciative that they released this website beforehand so you can go in with some insider knowledge, because Final Fantasy is usually not the best at explaining history and lore a lot of the times in the recent years. I think they like to just drop you in blind and, and let you figure yeah, stuff out. Yeah, so I really appreciate this website for that. Um, yeah, I'm getting hardcore Final Fantasy XIV vibes, which I think is the smartest route they could go because that is their biggest IP right now. Well, there's other reasons for that, and, and we'll get to that towards the end of why I think there's so many Final Fantasy XIV connections. But I, I agree. I think, it's a, I think it's a good move. It sounds like an interesting world and a really interesting premise. Yeah, I find it interesting, this blight that threatens to destroy everything. Uh, it doesn't really give us any insight on what the blight is or what caused it, but it seems that like... That might be a big reveal for the um, save for the game, though. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm just kind of speculating about... So it, it kind of sounds like maybe the Mother Crystals are becoming corrupted by something. Um, and if we kind of look into, you know, the connections that this could have with 14... It just it also kind of reminds me of Shadowbringers. There's something happening to these crystals that are kind of shifting them from the the life giving blessings that they have to more of a dark, uh, corrupting kind of essence. Could be interesting. Yeah, I think this. I think that's a really good, um, really good premise right there. I'm. I'm. I think that sounds good. The mother crystals always got to keep crystals relevant. I like that. Well, of course. Yeah. So when I read this, this is when I started being like, okay. Okay, this is an interesting story. This is when I started kind of getting more interested in what was going on. Now, the next section is icons and their dominance. And this kind of cleared up a big question that we had from watching the trailer because it actually explains what the icons are and, you know, the dominance and what, what that means when they say, you know, we're going after Shiva's dominant. So here's the section on icons and their dominance. The icons are the most powerful and deadly creatures in Velisthia. Each resides within a dominant, a single man or woman who is blessed with the ability to call upon their dread power. In some nations, these dominants are treated as royalty, in admiration of their strength. In others, they are bound in fear of it and forced to serve as weapons of war. Those who are born as dominants cannot escape their fate, however cruel it may be. So a dominant is basically a summoner, and the icons are the summons. Basically. But what it sounds like is the dominance, the summoners are tied to one specific icon. So they can't summon a plethora of different ones as your traditional summoner can. It almost sounds like uh, they are almost possessed by the spirit of the icon, which I guess they could bring forth or tap into their potential power to use in other aspects of their life. That's a really cool idea. I agree. They sound like the chosen people. 
But it also sounds like, and we'll get into it in a little bit when we kind of look at the different factions of this world, but it does sound like these people are reacted to differently based on where you are. Because, uh, I mean, it says here, you know, sometimes if you're a dominant, you are royalty. It's almost like the divine right of kings. You know, you were chosen by this icon, therefore you are our royalty. But in other parts of this world, it sounds like, oh, you're a pariah. You are touched by this evil, for lack of a better word, and we just don't want you with us within society. Oh, yeah. This is giving me hardcore, like, Final Fantasy X vibes where, you know, the summoner, or the dominant in this case, is like a big deal around the world. And it gives me Final Fantasy uh, 13 vibes where only one person is bound to a specific summon. I hadn't really made the connection for 13, but that's that's a decent point that you just made um, with the Lassie, right? Is that what they're called? Uh, I guess. That is, sure. a, that is a decent <laughs> point that you just made. But I find this interesting because it means that that you will have characters in this that are tied specifically to summoners, or sorry, to specific icons or summons. And and once we get down to the next section, it also sounds like each area of this world has a particular icon that kind of represents them. This is also very reminiscent, again, of Final Fantasy fourteen, Because if you look at the Beastmen tribes, each of these Beastmen have a, have a primal that they worship. For the most part of ARR, that is the story. Going around and stopping, well, you never stop the Beastmen from summoning the, the primals because you always have to fight a primal. But Of course. And then in some, in some aspects, there is a person, there is one of the members of the summoning tribe that becomes that primal. This seems yeah. very similar. This okay. seems very similar. Well, in, in 14's case, he was more like a sacrificial like ritual kind of thing. But in this case, it seems like somebody is, is just born with the icon within them. Correct. I don't know if it necessarily... To me, it sounded more like they were born with the gift of the icon more than it sounded like they were born possessed by them. Well, it says here, the icons are the most powerful and deadly creatures. Each resides within a dominant. So it does sound like their essence lies within that person. Yeah, but I don't think that they impact the choices of the dominant, from what I'm getting. Possibly no. That's that's a good point. I don't. That'll probably be a plot point later on, though. Yeah, I does. I don't think it necessarily means they influence them, but it, I viewed it more as they are like slumbering within, and are sometimes called forth. And we know for a fact that they will be called forth because in the trailer we see Shiva, we see Phoenix, and I believe we see Ifrit as well. A lot of cool callbacks to a few things. All right, if you want to skim through the realms of Valistia down here, um, does it tell which icon is linked with each um, kingdom? It, it does, for the most part. There are two that are redacted. So let me just read them off. There are, there are six different kingdoms here, or realms. You have the Grand Duchy of Rosaria, the Holy Empire of Sambrek, the Kingdom of Walod. I don't know how to say that, but that's how I'm, that's how I'm guessing. The Walod. <laughs> uh, the Dalmecan Republic. The Iron Kingdom. And the Crystalline Dominion. I think it's so funny that you have, like, the Grand Duchy of Rosaria. The Holy Empire of Senbrek. The Iron Kingdom. <laughs> just yeah, the iron well, kingdom <laughs> i think that might also uh be trying to say something about who they are as a people because if you actually look at the different banners because each one of these has a banner the iron kingdoms is a lot rougher than the others like you said the grand duchy the holy empire these all have very regal looking uh crests but if you look at the iron kingdom it almost looks like it's it's reminiscent to me of like a barbarian and I think yeah. that that's kind of what they're going for. I, I think it's, and if, if you skim through it, it does say that they're like a small group of islands. They're isolated and aloof from the mainland nation. So it sounds more to me like a gathering of a bunch of just disparate people under one banner. So I think that kind of fits with the, the lack of like pomp and circumstance. I think that's what they're going for. Okay. To your point though, each of these realms exists because they have sprung up 
around a mother crystal. So each of the mother crystals have a different name, and they're all like a variation of a drake. So it all kind of goes around this kind of like dragon theme. Uh, the Grand Duchy of Rosaria, theirs is called the Drake's Breath. The Holy Empire is the Drake's Head. Uh, the Kingdom of, again, Walod. Uh, this would be the Drake's Spine. Uh, Dalmican Republic, Drake's Fang, Iron Kingdom is Drake's Breath, and the Crystalline Dominion is Drake's Tail. So it sounds to me like, I, I don't know if the Mother Crystals are somehow related to one another, but they all have a name that's kind of based off of different parts of a drake or a dragon, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, okay. So do you think that would have anything to do to play into Bahamut at all? Like maybe maybe all the icons mixed together will be Bahamut? Possibly. I, that's a good thought. That is a, it is interesting that you say that because I, I didn't notice Bahamut as they call out some of the icons that are... Uh, that are associated with each of the kingdoms. And I didn't notice Bahamut, but Bahamut has to be in this. He's in pretty much everything that you're yeah, going to They don't really, um, Bahamut's not with really usually within the same league as the other summons or right. icons or Adolans, whatever you call them. He's usually like the king of them or just like a supreme God over them. So I could see that very well happening. Like, Maybe all the mother mother crystals, like when they're in sync or something, and the final boss would be like Bahamut or something. Yeah, something like that. Or they need Bahamut to to keep some of these other icons in line or something like that. I, I wouldn't put that past him. I think that's probably he's gotta be involved somehow. I just think that the Drake, the dragon connection here is I do think it's a hint at Bahamut. It would be weird if it wasn't to me. Yeah, you're right. I think I there's no way they can't involve him at all. Here's another thing that kind of brings up a Final Fantasy XIV connection to me. Just listen to this, this one sentence from the Crystalline Dominion. The Crystalline Dominion sits at the heart of Velisthea, built around the tallest of all the mother crystals, the Drake's Tail. This just sounds exactly like the Crystarium from Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, that it does. I thought the same thing, thing when of? I looked at it, yeah. Just by looking at it, I think I think that looks like it's probably heavily inspired by it, if nothing else. Agreed. It's just, and this it, this is like a conspiracy theory, I know, but it, the similarities are such that it does, in my mind, lend a little bit of credence to the theory that Velisthea may be one of the shards of Hydaelyn. Which would be really cool. It would tie it into that Final Fantasy fourteen lore. I almost think that should be the way Final Fantasy goes from now on. That would be an interesting point. I think that to a to an extent, though, that does lock you into a certain graphical style, and it does lock you into it puts a little more restraints on you. Plus, I I'm assuming fourteen would want to keep some of those unexplored just in case they needed them for future expansions. But True. it would be really cool. To me, if this was one of the shards of Eidolon that we have not yet explored, there are similarities I can see in all of this stuff. So then again, wouldn't it be weird to have so much lore based around the icons that take away from their presence in 14 for this to take place within the same universe? I don't I mean, I feel like the primals have such a big influence in 14 anyway. It just seems like they have a different influence here. Yeah, but they work differently. You know what I mean? Like, there's no dominance or anything in 14. There's no, like, it changes the lore of the primals. And I that makes me think this has no connection to 14, just inspirations. And you might be right. That's It's kind of just like a theory that's floating around on the internet. And I think mainly the theory is based on the fact that the art and graphical style is very similar. Uh, but once is. we start pouring over this, the similarities in just elements that they're pulling from and this might just be because of the teams that are working on it you know work on both which we'll get to in just a second but that, that could be all this is i think it would be cool though uh, there is one thing i want to point out uh, right above the realms of Velistia, you get the background of the world map yes if this whole thing is explorable that's going to be nuts 
that would be cool. It is a very sizable looking world map. It reminds me more of like the Final Fantasy seven, eights, and nines. Yes, and that is makes that makes me very excited. I really hope that is the direction they're going. Like exploring a giant world like that, like Final Fantasy fifteen. Yeah, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the show, but one of the things I love to do is at our local Renaissance Festival, there is this. Uh, this guy, and I wish I could remember his name. I don't think I have his card, but he does hand-drawn maps of different fantasy projects. And I, just looking at these realms of Valistia, I want this map on my wall. Like right now, I have Final Fantasy VIII. I have fourteen, seven. I can't remember if he did eleven or not. But regardless, I, I have I have a quite a decent collection, and I would love to add this to it because it's a nice-looking world. It is. I mean, it kind of looks like the one on the left kind of looks like America in a way. Almost. You know what? I had that thought, too. It does kind of <laughs> look like America, Canada and Alaska. Just kind of just well, and, and South America, too. It looks like that portion of the world. And then the other one looks a little bit like Australia. I thought the one on the right looked like Africa. No, you're right. It does look like Africa. <laughs> Just turned on its side a little bit. Yeah, it just looks like Africa tilted a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought that too. The Yeah, the, the, the elements there do seem like they just kind of took our world and distorted it a little bit. But I do like it. I, I think it looks really good. Plus, there's just, there's so much detail in this map too. Like little things that they've put in that make me wonder what it is. So you can see in the middle of the map this giant crystal, which I'm assuming is going to be where the Crystalline Dominion sits. It did say it sits in the heart of Valistia. So I'm assuming that's what it is. But if you look towards the top, it looks like there's, I don't know, icebergs. Is this another mother crystal here? Uh, who knows? You can see volcanoes. It looks even like if you look down right around where the crystal is, where the crystal and dominion would sit, it looks like there's even some kind of maelstrom there in the water. Yeah, that looks like there's a lot going on. I really need to, man, I'm just, this whole thing is making me very excited. Yeah, I'm 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 getting with you. Uh now that I've seen all this that the website has to offer, I am coming on board with being very excited for this game. And you know, we we drew this parallel when we watched the trailer in the beginning, but I'm still getting major Game of Thrones vibes from this. Especially once they broke down these six different realms. This is this seems so Game of Thronesy, and I think I'm I think I'm here for that. I've never played played i've never watched games of game of thrones so i am not invested in that at all i think on its own merit this looks absolutely amazing though yeah yeah i'm getting very excited about what could potentially happen the story possibilities with these these different realms and the way that they don't see eye to eye on things even the way they treat their dominance i think is going to make for some very good storytelling Oh, yeah. The dominant thing has me most excited. That is a really cool premise. All right. So we've kind of talked about the world. Let's let's take a look at the characters. And they only call out three characters. But there's something I find very interesting about this is they all seem to be from the same family, which I don't know if we've ever really done that before. Now, we'll get into a little bit with Jill here in a minute because she's not technically part of the same family. But it does seem like the story is going to focus around one family unit. So I think I'll do what I did with the world. There's only three little paragraphs here to read, but I, th I think that we can just go through each character, kind of talk what we think about, and then move on. So the first character is Clive Rossfield, the firstborn son of the Archduke of Rosaria. Though all expected him to inherit the Phoenix Flames and awaken as its dominant, Destiny instead chose his younger brother Joshua to bear the, this burden. In search of a role of his own, Clive dedicated himself to mastering the blade. His practice pays off when, at just 15 years of age, he wins the Ducal Tournament and is dubbed the First Shield of Rosaria, tasked to guard the Phoenix and blessed with the ability to wield a part of his fire. Alas, Clive's promising career is to end in tragedy at the hands of a mysterious dark icon, Ifrit, setting him on a dangerous road to revenge. So to me, this kind of confirms that the people we saw in the trailer, you know how we kind of speculated that it was the same guy there at the end where yeah. it shows his face? I think this confirms that's exactly what oh, happens. 
I didn't think that would be an issue. There's no way they would do a parallel like that and have that end up not being the same person, like, at all. <laughs> but it's nice to have some confirmation, though. Well, and I think we have, you know, we see in the trailer something happening with Ifrit. Now, what exactly happens, it's very vague, and I'm glad it doesn't tell us everything. But something happens during that trailer with Ifrit being summoned or whatever that apparently starts Clive on the road to revenge. And I guess everyone, you know, in Final Fantasy, whenever you go to get revenge, you just look a lot cooler. You know, it happens. Well, of course, you're mad. <laughs> I mean, your hair grows. You just get a little stuff. You look cooler. So if you ever, you know, if anybody listening just really wants to kind of remake their image, just swear revenge against somebody and your hair grows out. You get cooler. You probably start speaking a little cooler because I'm telling you, it works for Noctis. Get revenge towards me because you're stupid. I don't like you. I hate you. So now you have someone to get revenge towards. You know, that. You know, this is the longest my hair has ever been too so <laughs> i'm just gonna keep going i swear revenge against you and shell because my birthday present was so late too okay <laughs> <laughs> the next person is joshua rossfield now hold on hold on let me talk about clive oh, a little bit yeah sorry go ahead so whenever this website came out everyone on my twitter feed anyway i don't know about you was up in torches that clive was a stupid name um I like it. it. I, yeah, I like it too. I think it's memorable and very easy to say. And it could have been Claude. So <laughs> yeah. it could always I mean, be worse. <laughs> I, I think Clive sounds very... Clive Rossfield sounds very fantasy to me. And I think he looks cool. I think everything about him is cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying... I, I love the character, but... I mean, Cloud is not a cool name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he, he is cool, about? and it has become cool because of the character. But just taken out of context, if you just heard somebody's name was Cloud, you'd be like, okay. Like, the white stuff in the sky? So yeah, I, I think Clive's a fine name. Clive Rossfield sounds very fantasy, and I do. I, I love the art they've got of him here. He looks very cool, although I don't know why he needs two belts. Oh, uh, the more belts you have, the cooler you are. Don't you know that? Oh, that's true, I guess. I have no belts on right now, so I'm pretty lame. Yeah, me too. It's okay. But yeah, I think Clive will be a good main character. I mean, I think Clive is much cooler than Joshua. Yeah. Like... I mean, I'm not, not crapping on anybody named Joshua. It's just <laughs> Clive's lost. a pretty cool name. We've lost right? listeners. Yeah, <laughs> there goes our entire listening base. But I think Joshua is just kind of a name. You know what I mean? It's just there. So, mm -hmm. But speaking of Joshua, the second son of the Archduke of Rosaria and Clive's younger brother by five years, Joshua awoke as the dominant of the Phoenix soon after his birth. Despite his noble upbringing, Joshua treats all his father's subjects and with warmth and affection, none more so than Clive, whom he deeply admires. Joshua often laments that it was he, the frail and bookish younger son, who was granted command of the Firebird's flames, and not his stronger, braver brother. While Clive will gladly throw himself into any danger, Joshua quails at the sight of a carrot on his dinner plate. But carrots become the least of his concern when he, too, is swept up in the tragic events that change Clive's life forever. So it does sound like Joshua at least lives through that. I wasn't sure it did. Some, You know, the trailer kind of makes it look like something might happen to Joshua. So this kind of sounds like he, he might survive that. I like the dynamic between them. I mean, I hate to kind of like quote something you've been watching a lot, <laughs> but it kind of reminds me of like the last season. <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to make this connection of Wizards of Waverly Place. Where yes. like Max is going to become the family wizard and he does when he shouldn't have. <laughs> Max but, doesn't become the family. I, I know, but like if he did. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you need to quit crapping on that. I'm going to have to go like with, lift weights to get testosterone back after saying that. Wizards is such a good show. <laughs> All right, look, listen, when you have a small kid, you watch what you what you can. You know, I can't be watching like Game of Thrones or Sons of Anarchy in front of the little kid. I will say, however, though, it has led me to discover 
fun shows I would not have watched. On its own, I probably wouldn't have watched Wizards. I'm really glad I did because we had a lot of fun as a family with that. We're watching Boy Meets World now, by the way. <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot better of a way to explain how much you like that show. <laughs> I do really like that show though. I don't I don't want having the little kid undercutting how much I did enjoy that show. Anyway, back to Final Fantasy. The first thing that jumps out at me looking at Joshua, he looks like he's dressed like a white mage to me. Yeah, he kind of does. His garb kind of reminds me white magey. It doesn't really seem like that's the role he has. Um, he does kind of strike me as a as a mage type. You know, the bookish, kind of reserved. But just his his clothes in this art remind me of a white mage. And the little puppy he's holding is pretty cute. Oh, I just noticed the puppy. I'm calling it now. If the puppy dies, uh, I'm rioting. And this game will get a zero stars from me. They can't kill the puppy. They didn't kill it in 15. Oh, crap. What if the puppy is Ifrit's dominant? What a plot twist. Wouldn't that be nuts? Dump but I think it's going to be old Jill down here. Well, hey, yeah, we'll move on to Jill in just a second. I just wanted to echo what you said. I, I do kind of like this dynamic they've set up, you know, with the older brother having to basically guard his younger brother from a destiny that he thought he was going to inherit. Now, whether or not Clive has any remorse towards Joshua, that's not really clear here. Like, does he resent Joshua for getting the gifts that he was expecting to get? Is he relieved that it's not him? Is he sad that it had to be either one of them? I, I don't know, but I'm I'm looking forward to exploring that because it, this does seem like they could have a very interesting dynamic. It does seem, too, that this is going to be a, a tighter cast of smaller characters, so I think we might get to see a lot more of that interplay between characters that will kind of drive the story forward. That's a good thing. I like that. Agreed. I like it when it's when it's a tighter unit as well. Yep. But now that I've completely ruined your segue, I'm on <laughs> my own as we go on to Jill Warwick. Born in the fallen Northern Territories, Jill was taken from her homeland at a tender age to become a ward of Rosaria, securing peace between the two warring nations. The Archduke insisted that she be raised alongside his sons, and now, at 12 years of age, she is as much a part of the Rossfield household as Clive and Joshua. Ever kind, gracious, and unassuming, Jill has become a trusted confidant to the brothers. That girl is 12? Yeah, okay, that was going to say that too. The art does not make her look 12. She looks like a grown woman. Uh, agreed. <laughs> that was my first thought too, and I was also like, 12. Interesting. I guess it doesn't really tell us how old the other two are, does it? It does say that Clive is five years older than Joshua, but it doesn't tell us how old they are. That's weird. Makes me wonder, is Joshua older than Jill or is he like 10? Because if this is going to be a story about a 10 and a 15 year old, that makes me a little less excited, especially with the the potential M rating. Like, I want Clive to well, be at least 18 or 20. It looks like, from the sound of the character developments and the whole how they're sh shining light on the Ifrit thing, it sounds like maybe the beginning sequences of this game is going to be these characters, and then most of the game, unlike 15, where it was at the end, is going to be the time skip. You know, you're that's a good point. Or I maybe they'll do an awkward of time and go back and forth. Well, they could do that, like tell parallel storylines. Yeah. At, throughout different points in time. Kind of like this is us. That would be kind of neat. Yeah, Ooh, something that like would that. be interesting. But I feel I have a feeling that the time skip portion of this game is going to be a lot longer than the pre time skip. And in that case, this girl does not look twelve. No, not at, at all. all. And why would you get a twelve year old to come be a uh what would they call it a ward? So basically, yeah. this is something that they do on Game of Thrones too. It's it's almost like. A hostage, basically. It's an it's an exchange. You take this kid, and it's basically saying, like, look, we're we're at peace, but I have your kid if you ever decide to uprise against us. It's it's kind of like a power play. They've done it on Game of Thrones with uh oh, what's the character's name? Theon. I think Theon Greyjoy was was like that. But basically, it's they would have taken Jill in, from my guess, as a security against the Northern Territories to make sure that they kind of stayed in line with Rosaria. 
We'll see, though. Because it says here, securing peace between the two warring nations. So I think that that's kind of what it is. Yeah, more than likely. Like an offering. Yeah, it's not like she had... Well, sometimes it's like a kidnapping, you know? Not necessarily by force, but like... Yeah, it's like a it's a weird peace kind of thing. You know how some people they arrange marriages to secure peace. This is like another way to do that. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, she's not she's not gonna have like a like an advisory role or anything like that. But it does sound like she's kind of grown up alongside the boys and that she probably views them as brothers. Like they probably view her as like a sister. So we'll see how that kind of develops. And that's what I was talking about in the beginning is it it does kind of seem like it's just going to focus on this small family unit, these these brothers, sister-ish, and how they react to this Ifrit event. Ifrit, Ifrit, Ifrit. (laughs) They do love their Ifrit. Always Ifrit. Yep. Well, Ifrit's pretty cool. Yeah, but it, he's usually like one of the first summons in the older games, and it's weird to just see him so powerful and important now. That's true. He is like the first boss in Final Fantasy VIII, and he is usually one of the first ones you get. Isn't he one of the first summon materials you get in Seven as well? Probably. And I know I just got him on Final Fantasy V, and I'm only like five hours in. So yeah, it is. they have given him more of a story presence. But that might also be because how well-known he is. I mean, think about it. Even if you don't finish a Final Fantasy game, you've probably encountered Ifrit because you see him so early. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, not in one, but I don't know if Ifrit's in one. I don't recall summons in that game. Well, Bahamut's in it because he's who evolves you. But the point is, is like... Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about it, but Ifrit seems to be a big big boy nowadays, so good for him. Yeah, he's growing up. They grow up so fast, don't they? Yeah, but in fourteen, he was like one of the first prom the first primal you fought actually at a whopping level of sixteen. I think. I think he's the only one that's not a full party. You fight him with four characters. Yep, <laughs> I think he's the only one that you don't fight with eight. Ever since fifteen, though. Because I got him in a leveling roulette the other day, and I was I was trying to get my dungeon challenge log done, and he popped up, and I was like, I don't want to do this because I wanted a dungeon. Yeah, it sucks when you get him. I queued again and got Ifrit again, and I was like, no, I need to get my dungeons done. anyway. Yeah, that, and he doesn't give a lot of experience either. No, so it was just kind of a waste. Of, well, I mean, you get the bonus for doing the roulette, but you only get that once a day. Yeah. So... So this last thing, I'm not going to read these. There are some messages from the developers. You have a message from the producer, uh, Naoki Yoshida. I think is how you say that. um, And the director, Hiroshi Takai. But the one thing I want to point out is the, the strong connection that both of these have to the online games. Okay, because the producer, he's working on Final Fantasy 14 at the same time he's working on Final Fantasy 16. So he's involved with both of those products. The director also, uh, if you read through his, uh, he kind of came on board at the, as a developer in Final Fantasy V and then went on to work on both online versions, Final Fantasy XI and fourteen. So this tells me two things. One, I do think that the connections to Final Fantasy fourteen are intentional. I, I think that they're there because of how connected both of these people are to that property. But two, One thing that the online games have always done better, in my opinion, and it's just because of the platform they have, is world building. Because just the nature of an MMO gives you that ability to let things breathe and have these fleshed out worlds. And what I'm hoping is that these two guys can translate that into a very alive feeling, fleshed out Ballistia. I really hope, I really hope they don't go on a constricted route. I mean, 15 was really good about open world, but when you got to that, um, I forget the name of the city. It was like the place inspired by Venice from there on. It was just all linear. And I would have loved to have been able to explore that new continent. And as much as I love 15, it got very constricted from there. So if we get a game full of like exploration, like an MMO almost, I mean, we're looking at potentially um, one of my favorite final fantasy games. And to me, I don't necessarily mean I I get your point and I I agree with it, but I don't necessarily mean just 
total open world exploration. I'm okay with more of a linear narrative as we've established before. Well, you can have a linear narrative with an open world. Right. But what I'm, what I want, what I meant was I want when I go to a place for it to feel alive, like to feel fleshed out. One of the things that, you know, you, you have in some of the older final fantasy games, if you look at seven, eight and nine, you have these big worlds, but there's always like one dead continent. You know what I mean? There's always a whole continent, which store it has a story reason why no one lives there, but it's just so much empty space. What I'm hoping is that they can bring this kind of like feeling of real world into this to where even if you go on a side quest to these towns, they feel unique. They feel fresh. They feel alive. That's kind of what I'm hoping, because I think that the MMOs do that pretty well. Yeah, I mean, that's part of an MMO's gimmick. So oh, Yes, it is. If they don't right. do that very well, it's probably not a very good MMO. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. But it just, it makes me, I love both 11 and 14. So seeing, you know, this letter from the producer and the director call both of those out gives me a lot of hope. And like I said, I, I have turned around in this game. I have I have less soured on it, and I am a, pretty stoked now. Well, it's because, honestly, that trailer released, like, it feels like that teaser trailer, the first trailer released, like it was playing off of a trailer that already released, if that makes any sense. It didn't feel <laughs> like a teaser trailer, like, at all. It felt like it felt like a trailer for people who know content, have context to the game. But we well, had I will no say, <laughs> rewatching it made more sense. Yeah, now, that now we have context. Yeah, and I, I don't know, you know, sometimes it's okay to have one of those trailers that you're like, wow, what's going on? Because that's mystery. And I was I was intrigued by the stuff in the trailer, but just having a little more explanation on what a dominant is and how the interplays of all these realms work together, it helped me appreciate the trailer more. So if you were kind of like me, if you just didn't really click with the trailer, give this website a breeze over and then try to watch it again. See if it changes your opinion. Absolutely. I mean, I was already stoked as it is and now I'm even more stoked. Right. But uh, that brings us to the end of the website. It wasn't a huge website. I mean, it's very early. They do say that there will be additional information coming out in 2021 and the game is still a little ways off. So the website doesn't have like a lot of information, but I feel like what's there is very quality. Oh, absolutely. But that does bring us to the end of the website. So with that, I think that we can call this an episode. What do you think, Solos? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's about all there is to talk about the topic. Well, for now, there'll definitely be some more Final Fantasy 16 news going forward, of course. We'll cover it whenever it comes out. But for now, I think that that'll, we'll call this one a day. Soloist, where can we find you? Follow me on Twitter, Soloist underscore TV. Follow me on Twitch, Starcaller Soloist. I just set up, this is not very Final Fantasy related because I, it's looking like I'm going to lean more towards streaming WoW. I feel like WoW is a more fun game to stream, for my um, my opinion. So I have a thing going on. I am at 26 followers, and I need 50 to get to affiliate. When Shadowlands comes out, I am doing a 12-hour stream. If I can reach affiliate before then, I will make that a 24-hour stream. Oh, jeez. So if you want to help torture me, head on over to twitch.tv backslash starcallersoloist. And throw me a follow, preferably while I'm live, Tuesday, Thursdays, or Saturdays, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, the cool little notification will pop up. That'd be fun. Also, follow me on YouTube at Soloist starting next Monday, the 9th. A new LP will start, and one that I think will really pique the interest of listeners here. All right, perfect. Uh, you can follow me personally at Wolfkins on Twitter, or you can follow the show at Highwind Herald on Twitter. We also have a website, highwindherald.com, where you can find all of our past episodes and our show notes. And of course, we are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast information. I've put some links to the show notes, uh, to all of the different resources we've talked about today. So if anything was interesting to you, go check those out. If you want to pick you up some statuettes or just want to browse over this website we were talking about. But uh, for that, I think, oh, and we do have a Discord if you'd like to join that. Uh, the links to that is always in our show notes as well. And with that, Soloist, I think we can bring this to... Yet another successful episode. Thank you for hanging out with me today and just talking about Final Fantasy as we do every week. 
As always, it was a pleasure. All right, don't forget, new episodes of Highwind Herald come out every Friday. See you next week. Peace out.